We all have questions. We all need answers. It is on this program that we get our answers from the Bible. It's time to Ask the Preacher with Rev. Carl Gallops of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Welcome to another edition of Ask the Preacher. This is your host, Mike Bates, and with me in this studio is the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, Reverend Carl Gallops. Carl, welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. The question for today's edition of Ask the Preacher, although you might already know what it is, <laughs> that'll make sense when you hear the question. Okay. <laughs> Does God know ahead of time what will happen, and what is the whole concept of predestination? That's a good question. There's a lot of confusion about that among the Christian community. In fact, there have been wars fought over this issue. Uh, Churches have been split. Communities and homes have been divided. Friendships have been lost over this understanding of predestination. And the amazing thing to me, Mike, about the whole thing is, is that almost everybody that speaks about it in the Christian community speak of it totally out of biblical context. They speak of it incorrectly. There there are two camps that you normally hear speaking on this topic within the Christian community. There is the camp uh, that says uh, God has it all figured out before anything happens. Uh, This is called the absolute sovereignty of God camp, that God is sovereign. He knows everything. Uh, Everything that's going to happen, he knows. He calls it before it is. He decides. He and he alone decides who's saved, who's not, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. There's really nothing we can do about it, but just discover whether or not we're part of it. Uh, that's the, 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 the hyper-Calvinistic predestination movement, if you will. And then on the other hand, the opposite extreme of that is, is that, well, you know, God's got it all figured out. Uh, God is sovereign, but, uh, but man has a lot of decisions to make, and we have a lot of uh, uh, responsibility, and uh, God doesn't really know what we're going to do until we do it, and then he responds according to what we do, uh, etc. Etc. But Mike, I'm here to tell you, that's not the theological question of predestination, because the word predestined is only used four times in the scripture and only in two places. In other words, two places, two times in one place and two times in another. It's used twice in Romans chapter 8 and twice in Ephesians chapter 1. Both times it's used by the apostle Paul. None of those times does it have anything to do with these modern day arguments but rather it has something very specific to do with Paul, who he was, who the Christians were of that day and time, and what God was doing in the world in that particular day and time. Now, the principles to this answer apply for throughout eternity, and we're going to get to it in a moment. But, but I'm telling you that, that, that people who, 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 who uh, espouse these predestination arguments today in today's church are completely out of biblical context as to the meaning of the word. Now, Paul is the only one who uses the term predestined, and again, Romans 8 and Ephesians 1. However, Peter, the other, uh, uh, one of the other writers of New Testament documents, he uses the word elect and chosen and called, so those all kind of fit into this whole understanding. But the bottom, what I'm trying to point out here is that you've got two guys who write the 20-something documents, 23 documents, I think, of the New Testament. And there are two writers who use this, who use this understanding of predestination or elect, election. Uh, now, I ask the listeners to consider this. Who are these two guys? Well, this is Paul and this is Peter, all right, of what 
ethnicity were they? Well, they were Jews. Okay? Mm-hmm. Paul, on his, ro- on his way to kill Christians on the Damascus Road, on, as a Pharisee, a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, on his way to destroy the Christian church, was confronted by the resurrected Christ and glorified Christ, knocked down, blinded for three days, uh, came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Paul knew as a Jew, he didn't go looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for him. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus grabbed him up by the nap of the neck and said, you know what? I'm going to use you, boy. <laughs> I'm going to use you for the glory of my kingdom. You're not going to destroy my church. I'm going to use you. Peter. Who was Peter? He was a Jewish fisherman fishing on the shores of Lake Galilee. When Jesus walked along the shores and said, follow me, I'll make you fisher of men. Now, now we understand from all the scriptures that he had way more than just that conversation with him, but, but that he endeared Peter's heart to him. But then later when Jesus was sitting with his disciples, this is well into Jesus's ministry. They're sitting around a campfire one night and Jesus reminds them, he says, remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, now, there is the statement of predestination. In other words, Jesus said, I predetermined. I, pre- I elected you. You didn't elect me. Peter, you didn't come looking for me. I went down to the lakeside and elected you. Uh, P- Paul, later he would say to Paul, Paul, you didn't look for me. You were out to destroy my church. Uh, but I came and elected you. Now, before we go any further, Mike, let's talk about this. Does God have a right to do that? Well, of course, he's God. (laughs) God can do anything he wants, but he will operate within the confines of his word because that's how he that's how we know that that God is working and not Satan, because God says, I will give you my word. I will show you my personality. I will show you my heart. I will show you my mind through my word. And this is how I work. This is how you can measure it. So. uh, So we know that God can do anything he wants. But what did God say in the very beginning of his word in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Deuteronomy about predestination? He said, I'm going to take a nation. I'm going to predetermine a nation, the nation of Israel. I'm going to predetermine a people, the Hebrew people. And I, for my glory, am going to use them. I'm going to use them for my glory and I will determine who I will use and in what way I will use them. And he says, out of them, I will bring my word. Out of them, I will bring my prophecies. Out of them, I will bring my Messiah. Out of them, I will bring my church. So did God predestine Israel to be his witness to the world? Yes. Did God predestine the Jews to be the people through which he would work? Yes. Uh, Did God say that these Jews are my chosen people? Yes. Now, does that mean that they were all chosen to be saved? No. It means he chose them to be used as his witness to the world and to display his glory. Has God done that? Yes. Does he continue to do that? Yes. So when God got ready to bring his Messiah into the world, and to promote the gospel worldwide, did he continue to use Israel to do that? Well, of course. Jesus was a Jew. When God put on flesh, he put on Jewish flesh, Mike. When God was born into the world, he was born to Jewish parents. When God came into the world to be a man, he came in a Jewish town called Bethlehem. And he ministered in the Jewish uh, culture around Judea and Galilee. So God predetermined pre-elected, predestined Israel and the Jews to be used for God's glory. Now, when Paul's writing about this to the church at Rome and to the church at Ephesus, he's merely pointing out 
what he knows in his heart to be true. He doesn't have to go into this great lengthy explanation of it because he knows he was predestined. He knows he was elected by God. He wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus came looking for him. And the thing that a lot of Christians forget, Mike, is that every one of the first Christians were Jews. Every one of them. Mm -hmm. Look at Acts chapter 2 in downtown Jerusalem. They were Jews. They were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came. Peter preached. The Bible says they were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven that were gathered there at that day in that upper room. They heard the gospel preached in their own native languages. They were saved. There were 3,000-something saved. A few weeks later, Paul preaches again. There's another 2,000 saved. The first church was born with over 5,000 members. That's, that's a mega church by today's standards. In downtown Jerusalem, Peter was the pastor, that fisherman that was elected on the shores of Galilee, that was predestined on the shores of Galilee. Peter was the pastor. All of the first Christians were Jews. They all understood that this was all happening in and through them because thousands of years earlier, God had prophesied it. He had predetermined it. He had pre-elected them. He had predestined them. And they understood that they were the predestined elect people to take the gospel forward. They also came to understand that they were to include the Gentiles. They were to reach out to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles were to come into Israel, if you will. They were to be engrafted in, uh, the book of Romans tells us, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians says the same thing. That He says, but you, you Gentiles is the inference, having believed, having heard the gospel, you believed, and you were included in the gospel with us through your belief in Jesus Christ. That's in chapter 1, verse 13 and following of Ephesians. And so Paul, when he writes and uses the word predestined, he doesn't even begin to use it in the same way that modern Christians are using it to beat people over the head with, well, you're saved and you're not, and God chose you and he didn't choose you. No, it was all about the Jews and particularly the Jews of that day. Paul says that in Romans 11 when he says, he says God has reserved for himself an elect people in this day, in this present day, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel being preached has always been God's way of people being saved, especially from New Testament days forward. That's the, Paul never disputed that. But when Paul and Peter used the word, well, Paul's the only one who used the word predestined. Peter uses the word elect. He, they were talking about this understanding that they somehow had God's hand on them for that day that they somehow were the people to be used in a very special way to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only reason was because God said so. They were Jews. And God had said for thousands of years, I'm going to use the nation of Israel and I'll use anybody I want in that nation <laughs> to be my ambassadors for my Messiah and for my gospel. Paul understood that. He was very humbled by that. He didn't become arrogant and stick his chest out and say, I'm one of the chosen ones. You're not. No, he was humbled. He said, who, who am I to be chosen of God to be the ambassador for the gospel? Yet I am. Uh, Peter, humbled by this. Peter, Peter walked and lived and ate and slept with Jesus for three years under the stars, and he heard everything Jesus said, saw every miracle Jesus did, but he always knew in the back of his heart, I didn't choose Jesus, Jesus chose me. And then after the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Peter becomes the first preacher, and by proxy became the first pastor of the Christian church, of the first Christian church, there was no vote taken. There was no prior decision. Peter didn't sit around saying, now listen guys, uh, we're going to start this, we're going to invent this thing called the church, and I'm going to be the preacher of it. No, it just happened. 
When the Holy Spirit came, Peter gets up and he says, let me tell you about this Jesus who's risen from the dead. And they all said, how can we be saved? Peter says, repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And they were. And the church was born. And Peter became the pastor. And he knew that he had been elected and predestined and chosen by the hand of God. And when they write about this in the scriptures, Mike, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about them. They're talking about their day and time. They're talking about Israel. They're talking about the Jews. They're not talking about 2,000 years later in Milton, Florida, little groups of people that go around describing who's saved and who's not because God predestined or elected them. It's, it's, It's absurdity, Mike. It is absolute absurdity. Predestination has to do with this understanding of the awesome sovereignty of God and that thousand years ago, thousands of years ago, he said, I'm going to use Israel. And I'm going to use who I want of Israel to burst forth my gospel and to usher in my son. And that's what predestination is about, Mike. And is it possible for someone to overrule God's predestination? I'll ask you the question specifically, but we've got to take this break first. Because I think they can. But I'm curious what your answer is going to be. So we'll get the answer to that question in a moment when Ask the Preacher continues. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher with Reverend Carl Gallups of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. This is your host, Mike Bates. Carl, before we went to the break, you were discussing predestination and how Jesus chose the disciples. They didn't choose him. He chose the disciples. That's what he said. He also, in addition to Peter, John, Paul, Matthew, and the others, he chose... Judas. And Judas ultimately betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Mm -hmm. Why? And and Jesus knew he was going to do that because he said so. Why would Jesus have chosen somebody who he had to have known ahead of time was going to betray him to the authorities? He was chosen for that very purpose, Mike, because the prophecies of the Old Testament prophesied that one would betray him for 30 pieces of silver that the Messiah would betray would be betrayed into the hands of the enemy. This is how he was delivered to the cross for which he came. So that makes the point of God's sovereignty. Yes, Judas betrayed him, but he was literally chosen because God in his sovereignty knew that he would. Now that's an amazing thing to think about, Mike. But again, remember all the disciples were Jews including Judas. Mm -hmm. God had said for thousands of years, I'm going to pull off my whole plan by using the nation of Israel and different people that I will predestine. And, And I'm telling you, Mike, God is sovereign. Now, now when that boils down though to, all right, well, how does that affect Mike and Carl in Milton, Florida in the year 2005? Well, number one, he's sovereign. He's on his throne. He's in control. The whole world is moving according to God's plan. But how does it affect Mike and Carl? Uh, in ways we can never understand, number one. But on the other hand, do Mike and Carl have choices to make? Well, of course. That's why throughout the Bible, God says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Choose, mm-hmm. choose. He told Adam and Eve, look, here's the fruit. Here's the tree. Don't eat it. If you do. You have a choice. If you eat of it, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. People say, yeah, but didn't God know? Well, in his sovereignty, yeah, he knew they would. But did they have a choice? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You see, Mike, i give you some illustrations. If you took a two-year-old, put him in the, a two-year-old who has an ice cream 
uh, uh, he's an ice creamaholic. <laughs> That's I'm describing myself. I'm I'm not a two year old, but I'm an ice creamaholic. But take a two year old that just is in love with ice cream, and you put this two year old in an empty room, a ten by ten room. Put a bowl of ice cream in the middle of the room. Leave the two year old. Say I'll be back in three hours. Now don't touch that ice cream. All right. Now we come back. Now number one. Where, what's going to happen to the ice cream? It's going to be gone. All right. Number two, did we know that? Yes. Number three, but did the kid have a choice? Yes. Mm-hmm. So at the same time in my sovereignty, now this is not a perfect example because we're humans and God's way smarter than all this and way more powerful. But in this little human illustration, in the same time, my sovereignty was exercised and his freedom of choice was exercised, and the two did not conflict. He had total freedom of choice, but because I am totally sovereign and infinitely smarter than he is, I knew what he would do. And so, so that, that's, a, that's a very, uh, it's not a very perfect way, but it's a very human way of explaining that, Mike, you and I have choices every day about what we will do with God, what we will do with Jesus Christ, what we will do with his claim upon our life. We are held eternally uh, 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 it, we, we accountable for the choice we make. That's why there's a heaven. That's why there's a hell. How how mean would this ogre God be if there was a heaven and a hell, but we had no choice in it? I mean, there mm-hmm. there's there is a choice that we have to make. Choose you this day. Uh, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him. Uh, uh, Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Of course, the implication is is that there will be some people who won't call upon the name of the Lord. How is this done? By hearing the gospel and then choosing to reject or to receive. So I don't have a problem with both God's sovereignty and man's free will working together in without being in conflict. Is God absolutely, totally sovereign? Yes, beyond my ability to even describe it in human terms. At the same time, is the message of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that Mike and Carl have a choice to make with eternal consequences? Yes. Do you think that Judas was held responsible in the afterlife for his betrayal? Well... Again, uh, we, we, we get in. We have to just go by what the scriptures say, and the scriptures say that the one who betrayed the Lord, it would be better for him that he not even been born. And that's a, that's a Jewish way of saying that he's yes, he's in in hell. Now, now, uh, you know, how can God do that? You, you see, again, you could you, you could argue it from well, God didn't make Judas do that, but it's the example of the kid in 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 the room with the ice cream. God knew he would do it. So since God knew he would do it, God chose him and his sovereignty. Now, you got to remember, God's more than just a smart human being. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's more than just a really, really smart human being. He's God. He is so much more infinitely complex and wiser than we are that we cannot even fathom his uh, a, a drop of knowledge that comes out of his head. We can't even uh, fathom it. But, but in that kind of sovereignty and knowledge, there has been no injustice done to Judas. But had Judas exercised his free will uh-huh. and not betrayed Jesus, uh-huh. then the prophecies that had been made would have been turned out to have been false. Right. So in a sense, so you see how smart God is. In a sense, Judas kind of had to do it, and if he kind of had to do it, isn't it kind of unfair to punish him for doing it? We're getting real philosophical here. 
But again, we're trying to define in human terms what God reserves for himself in sovereignty. It wasn't that he had to do it. It was though it was that he was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And God understood this and knew this in his absolute sovereignty. And therefore, he was chosen for that task. And, and it's kind of like the kid in the middle of the room with ice cream again. You say, yeah, but if the kid chose not to, but Mike, he won't. Mm-hmm. He will choose to eat the ice cream. And so that's just a little silly human illustration. But God's understanding of human nature and individuals and his sovereignty is beyond our ability to even describe. Taking it to today, okay, in the 21st century. So we're not talking specific biblical prophecies that had to do with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Taking it to today, somebody listening today. We all have free will. God, we're not robots, we're not puppets on a string, we're not animals operating by instinct. Right. We've got free will. We can accept God's plan for us, or we can reject it. And His mercy or salvation, or we can reject it. So, does our free will give us the power, and power might not be the right word, does it give us the ability to kind of overrule and reject God's plan for us? Or if we reject God's plan for us by exercising our free will, was that His plan? for us mm-hmm. not to have a good life. Someone, for example, who God intends for this person to be a minister, let's say, but instead he goes out and he's a bank robber because he'd rather earn his money that way. Is he exercising his free will, throwing God's plan for him in God's face, or was, by definition, that God's plan? Yeah. Well, we're getting into a theological argument here called the perfect will of God or the permissive will of God. And mm-hmm. this is what you're describing in a classic sense. Uh, we're running quickly out of time, so I'm not going to be able to do, to do this justice. But uh, the, the answer to that is, it's, it, let me give it a human illustration. If you, um, if, if, if you say, I'm going to buy my son a motorcycle, Okay, and, and you buy this motorcycle and you put it in the garage and get it all ready. In the meantime, your son's stomping around the house for days demanding that he have a new bicycle. And you're saying, son, just wait, just wait. I've got something for you. Just wait. Just hang on. Just trust daddy. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Finally, he throws a fit. And finally, you say, okay, okay, okay. Have your bicycle. And so you give him the bike. And then he never knows, but you take the motorcycle back. Okay. Now, your, 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 your desire for him, your gift for him was this motorcycle. But... Uh, yeah, you allowed him to exercise his free will. It's the same with the people of Israel. They cried out for a king. God said, don't, don't want you to have a king. I want you to have me as your king. But they cried out and they cried out and they cried out and they cried out. And God said, okay, give you a king. King Saul, go get a king. And they had King Saul. King Saul turned out to be the biggest heartache Israel ever had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so permissive will, perfect will. Is it possible to override God's sovereignty? No. Is it possible for one to choose outside of God's perfect will for your life? Yes. That's the quick answer. Now, again, I would need two hours to go into the details Mm -hmm. and handle all the ifs, ands, and buts, but let me repeat. Is it possible to override God's sovereignty when God says, this will be done? No, that is not possible. Is it possible to override God's perfect will for your life? Yes, people do it all the time. Okay. And that choice that we have, that free will... We are accountable for it. ...is a tremendous responsibility. It is. it? It is. It is. But let's get just back to, uh, to recap. How much time do I have, Mike? About a minute? Yeah, about a minute. Okay. We'll recap very quickly. Predestination in the biblical context has to do with 
Peter and Paul, Paul's the only one who used that term. Peter used the term election. It had to do specifically with Peter and Paul, both Jews of the nation of Israel in the day of the Christ. They understood that they were elected and chosen by God according to prophecies that God would do this to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ as the way of man's salvation. They understood that. They knew that they were predestined, that they were elect, and that even in a, in a, in a, in a powerful sense, the entire church was elect. And let me say this as we conclude. So if a person, if the gospel is, the, is God's elect way for people to be saved, Jesus was God's elect son, the nation of Israel was God's elect nation for this to come through. The church is God's elect way that Christianity would live forward. So when one receives the gospel of Jesus Christ, bows their knee to Jesus, belongs to the church as a part of God's family, serves God with their life, they can truly say, I'm part of God's elect, without meaning that I have something that you don't have, I'm going to heaven and you're going to hell because God said so and I'm special and you're not. I can truly say I'm part of the elect family of God because I've come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. Okay. And there is more information on this subject and many others at the Hickory Hammock website, which is www.hickoryhammockbaptist.org. I'd encourage you to go and wander the site, because there's a lot of very useful information on it. Carl, would you please close us in prayer? I'd be glad to. Jesus, there's no way that we can even begin to voice or to describe in human terms your sovereignty, your, your absolute holiness, your absolute power and omniscience. But Lord, we, we look at your word, and we, and we see how your sovereignty does not conflict with our free will, and that we must make a choice to serve you with our lives or not. I pray that all listening to this program today will make a choice to serve you with their life for all of their life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.